my name is Matt. I have the privilege of serving as the pastor at Every Nation Surrey, which, yes, which this church so graciously sent us out with our community um, three weeks ago. Uh, we've been doing some soft launches, but we officially started on January 15th. It's unreal, church. It is unreal. And we're just so excited to be there. And I just love the model that we did, that we didn't go just start something new. No, we took our community and just continued the same thing in a new place. And you can see just the sense of family, the Holy Spirit present. And when people come in, they're seeing a family worship and they have questions and they possibly want to join. We have uh, a few people already signed up for our welcome class next week and it's just incredible. Our global family of every nation, we've had visitors from every nation Sri Lanka, uh, from Cape Town, from the Philippines, maybe you've heard of it, um, but we've had some visitors there and just the, it's just incredible. And I love it too. Like we do here, we have our kids there, but they, they're too cool to sit with their parents, so they have their own section. And so during the service, we have a very tone-deaf children's choir, but it's very cool. It's very good. Half of them can't read, so they're just making up the words. Um, tongues, I don't know, <laughs> but it's very, very cool to just have that in the worship, and God is just doing something in that space as we're there just in the marketplace. We, we are there uh, to worship God. As people come to the mall to worship other things, they get to see us worship uh, God. And so we're just so excited. And um, we're actually continuing with our theme of miracles uh, tonight. And with miracles, this is something that I believe the church still needs to believe in. We still need to believe for miracles, that we serve a God who is in the business of doing miracles, doing the miraculous. And when I think of SFU, uh, he's doing something miraculous. Um, a couple weeks ago, we didn't even know if we could stay there, and now we're there. And so, church, I just want to thank you for praying for that miracle for us and allowing us uh, to go uh, before you to walk into that place. So it is so good to be here. If you have your Bibles, we are going to look at another miracle of Jesus in John chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, or if you have an app, you can open that up. We're going to be in John chapter 6, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, if you're new to Jesus, maybe you got pulled here by a friend, uh, you were forced to be here, I'm not sure, but if you're new to Jesus, new to his word, miracles are a good place to start, because you get to see, oh, because th th that's how he started. He just came and brought signs that no one had seen before or had seen for a while. Or he came and he spoke in such a way that people are like, yeah, that, that's what I need for my heart. That's what I need for my life. And there's just something that he did through miracles. And so as we go through this together, this is just a great starting point. So um, John chapter six, we're gonna be verse five. Let's read. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, who was one of his followers, one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Philip answered him, 
It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Not a meal, but a bite. And there's an exclamation mark. So Philip's making a point. (laughs) Only a bite. And then verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy with five small, small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And if you've heard this before, there was most likely more than 5,000 because they would have brought their households with them as well. And so scholars say from 11,000, 15,000, I've heard 20,000. There's just a lot of people there, a lot. In verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, so more than one bite, Philip, when they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over from those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, the miracle, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Would you just pray with me real quick? God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would teach us what it means. Jesus, would you take over? In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. So this account is found in all four gospels. You'll, You'll see that Um, You know, there's the synoptic gospels where there's different perspectives of just something that took place. But this one is found in all four. And today, what I want to look at is I want to see three things. Uh, I'm a former Baptist, so we have to do three things. So if you look on the screen, here it is. Why the church needs miracles. Why we lose our hunger for miracles. And what does trusting Jesus for miracles look like? Now, for us, if we're familiar with this story, we we know what's going on. We know the miracle. We hear about it. We see it. But maybe this story is more more familiar to us, especially if you have a relationship with Jesus. This story is more familiar to us in other ways. Um, Because, you know, in our relationship with God, maybe things are going well in your personal time. When it's one-on-one time with God, when he reveals who he is and who you are in him, it's a really special time when your Sabbath is restful, when watching services at home are just a little bit more convenient because it's you, you don't have to talk to anyone, it's just you and God, and it's a really sweet time. Things are going great. But then God comes into the picture, he has compassion on someone that you know and says, hey, what are you going to do about it? Uh... God, no, it was good, just you and me. <laughs> like, why do, you, why do you have to have compassion for them? Just have compassion for me. No, I want you to go love them. I want you to go love your enemies. Like, enemies, can I just choose one? And can I just, like, like something on their Facebook? Like, do I have to say anything? And this is what he does. This seems to be the way that it goes when you follow Jesus. We like to stay with Jesus and away from the problems, but as we're going to see here with Philip, Jesus gives us a bigger problem. And it says that he asked Philip where they should buy bread. When they're looking at the thousands of people, he says, where should we buy bread? And it says that he asked Philip as a test or to prove something. Now, 
because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Now, Jesus's question is not a trick. He wasn't a mean rabbi, but it's dialectic in nature, meaning he wants Philip to see what truth that Philip holds on to in this moment. Hey, Philip, there's a lot of people. What are you going to hold on to in this moment? Are you going to solve it yourself? Or are you going to solve it with that? What is that going to look like for you? Essentially, and here's the scenario. I love this. Essentially, he is speaking to the disciples who are going to be the future apostles, who are going to be the leaders of the church that's happening in Acts in just the next book. So he's speaking to the future church and saying, hey, this is going to be the norm. People are going to be coming. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about it when they have a need? What are you going to do? And so Philip, very administrative, and says, well, there's not enough money (laughs) to, to feed all these people. And this is a huge moment. This is a big moment for the church because when things happen, how do we solve it? And you know, I I love Andrew. He tries to solve it. He goes down to the kids' church and he steals a snack and says, well, we have this. Is this enough? Um, But what is it among so many? And we do this as a church. We do. When our problems come, we try to solve it. We try to look at what we have, try to look at what we've done, what we can do. But we need to remember, this is not our church Jesus is the pastor of this church. This is his church. These are his people. And Jesus is asking his church to have a bigger problem. Now, if you've been to Sunday school, you know that the answer to everything is always, oh, you've been to Sunday school, good, yes. The answer is always Jesus. And so what they should have done in that moment is just say, yeah, we do have a big problem. What are you gonna do about it? You're Jesus. Like, the stuff you've been doing is why they're coming. So can you just keep doing that? Can you just keep satisfying the way you do? Can you just keep multiplying the way that you do? What are you gonna do about it? And he is the answer. But for some reason, for Philip and Andrew, they don't go to him. They're trying to solve it. So why why wasn't he the answer at that point? Because we'll say, yeah, obviously Jesus is the answer, but shouldn't we get at least a a second, logical, different opinion on this? I mean, there's a lot of factors here, and shouldn't shouldn't we just look at everything first? Well, this brings me to my second point of why, why we lose our hunger for miracles. As I was preparing for this message, um, one of my favorite commentators, it's someone who writes a uh, commentary on the Bible, is a guy named William Barclay. He's a Scottish professor, and I love him. I I absolutely love him. Um, Just the way that he writes, the way that he teaches, he makes me feel that I'm in the situation, or like I'm in the situation. He just paints a picture, it's like, well, I'm right there with Jesus. I'm hearing his word. And the way that he teaches, I love it because he helps you know what's going on, but he also helps you feel it. But he never lets you off the hook. He always says, now do something about it. He doesn't necessarily care in his writing what you're thinking about. He says, hey, if you believe this, you need to go do something about it. And I love that. It's super helpful. I love it. However, 
in his writings, if you read a lot of William Barclay, you'll find out that sometimes he believes in the Trinity, but Jesus always isn't God. Ooh, that's a, that's a big one for me. I really like what you say, though, but that's a big one. And when it comes to miracles, he says that they didn't really happen, that it was just by chance or that there was a more logical reason for what happened, um, which this is hard for me because, one, it really would have helped me uh, with this message today, <laughs> but he wrote the whole thing off. Um, but check out what he says with John chapter 6. You can put that up, Anna Cat says this, the people were hungry and they were utterly selfish. They all had something with them, but they would not produce it for themselves in case they had to share it with others. The 12 laid before the multitude their little store and thereupon others were moved to produce theirs. And in the end, there was more than enough for everyone. So it may be regarded as a miracle which turns selfish, suspicious fold into generous people, a miracle of Christ-changing determined self-interest into a willingness to share. Now, when I read that to my wife, she said, ooh, I like that. How are you going to get out of that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> That's big. But this, this is hard for me because someone that I look up to, someone who is so immersed in the language, he was a Greek scholar, uh, in the culture, in the ways of Jesus, for some reason, he feels the need to explain the miracle that took place, essentially the acts of Jesus. Now, if you read all of the Gospels, you can com uh, combat this quite easily. In the other Gospels, it does say that they came with no food. It does say that they came hungry. It does say that Jesus multiplied the food as he blessed it and prayed to heaven. Like You have that evidence. But however, as hard as this is, to read this, the truth is, I do this all the time. I do this all the time. I lose my hunger for miracles when I feed myself. Um, for example, in ministry for years, I had the privilege of serving as a youth pastor. And when we would have uh, youth events come and kids would come in, it was great. And parents would pull me aside and go, look at this. This is a miracle. These kids could be anywhere, but they're here. This is a miracle. Now, at first, I'm like, yeah, it's a miracle. But then second in my head, I'm like, I don't know. I called like 100 kids this week, and I ordered 50 pizzas. So I think the, 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 there's something behind that. Or I remember our daughter, Penny, she, had, uh, she needed mouth surgery, something on her teeth. And we didn't have it, but we just had to do it in faith, and we went, and the bill was large, and literally a couple days later, we received a check. It was a government refund. I kid you not, I still have it, to the penny, to the absolute penny, and I'm like, this is a miracle, but then two weeks later, we had another bill, and Kat was like, hey, remember God did that miracle? I'm like, no, that check was coming, you know, and I just need another check to come, and I just neglected it as a miracle. Or maybe when there's spiritual breakthrough in our marriage, our health situation, we just say, you know what? We were just patient long enough. We just started talking more. You know, it, it was going to come around anyways. No, I think God broke in. He healed. He changed hearts. He made us talk about the things that matter to him. But when I ignore these miracles, I lose the hunger for what Jesus does. 
because I say that I'm still going to be the one to solve my problems my way. Um, and, and sometimes we do this, you know, like before we knew Jesus, I was a people pleaser. But I met Jesus, which is great. But then I'm in the church, and what am I doing? I'm trying to please people because I want them to like me. And it's like this baptized version of who I used to be without Jesus, but now with Jesus, I'm still trying to solve problems. Or with finances, man, I didn't have anything. But then after I met Jesus, I wasn't worried about finances. But now I'm still kind of worried about it, but that's okay. I, I have Jesus plus my worry. And it's like a baptized version of who we are in Christ. Now, on the one hand, I fully agree with Barclay and that there is something bigger going on than just the hunger and getting food for that moment. But friends, the people just didn't need an attitude change. They needed a heart change. And the only way to do that that I can find is a miracle needed to happen. And so Jesus was well aware of this. I think this is why he had compassion. This is why he came to earth, God in flesh. As we see in Isaiah 55, it says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear. And come to me. Listen that you may live. It's a pretty big statement. Listen so that you may live. I will make you an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Now this crowd, they were hungry. But in reality, they were starving way far beyond their knowledge of the condition. And Jesus has compassion on them but he was also faithful to the covenant he made with them, even though they may have forgotten that they were part of it. And he does perform a sign that the verse says, but the people's response is not gratitude like Barclay was suggesting. It's not gratitude. Um, or like, oh, we just need to be better at sharing. No, here was their response, verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus knew this. He knew they were going to force him to be king. And so he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Culturally, here's what's going on. These people, because they said, surely this is the prophet, they are waiting for the glory days. They are waiting for the days to return where they ruled where they were provided for, where everything was good. And so they follow king after king, and it's not panning out for them. So they want the glory days. They want the Moses. They want the Elijah. They want the days to come. And now they see this prophet come who can make food. That's huge for them. That's absolutely huge. Because for us, maybe part of our income, 10 to 20% goes to food. Well, maybe more now, but it goes towards food. For these people, when they woke up, they would work all day just to eat. And if they didn't work, they didn't eat. And bread was huge. It was bread three times a day. For some of us, it's rice three times a day. Uh, or pizza three times a day. Yes? No. Okay. But this was a big deal 
someone comes and they can make bread. I'll follow you. That's like all my problems right there. Now, for some of us, we may not get that because we don't struggle with food, but what if somebody came on and said, hey, guess what, your mortgage, it's on me. I'll follow you. Hey, I'm bringing gas prices back to 1996, baby. Whoa, sign me up. You know, like, that's, that's what we want to follow. So what do they do? They go and seek him out because they want him not to fix their heart, but to fix their needs. They want Jesus' stuff, not Jesus. And so a day after, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who was given you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. The glory days are here. It's me. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, I love, they don't even call him Lord. <laughs> They're like, sir, who makes bread? Uh, always give us this bread. Always give it to us. And then Jesus declared, me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe me. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So kind. For I have come down from heaven, not, on, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now it is true that our deepest need is to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And our belief brings us into a relationship, even a friendship with Jesus. But Jesus says, yes, come, follow me, but eat my flesh. I don't know about you. Yeah, might be a little weird. Hey, I think we're moving a little too fast in this relationship. Because um, to be honest, it's a little appalling, offensive. It's kind of gross. Like, no, I just need you to bless this situation. Please don't make it weird, Jesus. Like, what's going on? And in this part of the story, this is kind of where I want Jesus to be like, ah, I'm just kidding, it's a metaphor. You don't have to. No, just here's some bread. Like, that's what I want him to do. But Jesus actually makes it worse then and says, oh, and drink my blood. Okay, now I don't know what to do with this because a few minutes ago you were a rabbi and now you're sounding psychotic. So what is going on here? But just like Philip, his words to the people and I believe to the church today and to all those who need him, his words are a test. It's an opportunity to see the real problem that's going on, the real hunger, hunger that's going on in our soul. And when Jesus speaks, we have two options. Do we trust God's word, even if they might be too hard to grasp, too out there, or even appalling to us? Because the truth is, if Jesus is God, we will wrestle to trust his word. We will. We will wrestle to trust his word because it's not our word. Sometimes it doesn't sound right, or it's too simple, it's too hard, it's not relevant enough. We will always wrestle with his word. But then if the opposite becomes true, if we become God, then 
we determine what God said is good or not. And if we don't like it, we leave. And that's bad news. Because if we leave, we stay hungry. We stay starving. And church, I would hate for us to be starving. Um, One of my favorite authors, Francis Schaeffer, he says this. He says, humanism, so basically just human beings, has changed the 23rd Psalm. Um, How many know Psalm 23? How does it start out? The Lord. Yes, the Lord is my shepherd. Good, I forgot. Thank you. No, the Lord is my shepherd. And so he says, humanism has changed the 23rd Psalm. They began with, I am my shepherd. I've got it from here. Then, since things weren't working out, well, sheep can be my shepherd because they, they say some cool things. They're doing some great things. But then people fail me, and it's not working. I'm still hungry. So then everything is my shepherd. But then when nothing is making sense and the hunger still remains, then finally nothing is my shepherd. And because we so often feed ourselves, I have to believe that God still does miracles. I have to believe it. Because the only other option is for me to feed myself. I have to believe that he wants to feed me. That he can turn my heart to him, no matter how far it has gone from him. Not by force, but by being the food that I so desperately need. Which is our final point. Jesus is the miracle we need to satisfy our hunger. As we see at the end of this chapter, John chapter 6, the thousands that were following him the day before and at that moment, they start to leave. And they're not happy. They're upset. Like, why can't you just make bread? Why can't you just do that? This is too hard. Did you have fun with us? Great, we're out of here. And they leave. And they leave, but the 12 remain the 12 disciples, the 12 followers. And this is interesting. Jesus says to them, do you want to go too? Now, this is where I am not like Jesus because I would be like, oh, thank goodness, 12 are still here. Uh, Whatever you need me to say to keep you here, just tell me. (laughs) Like, we, you know, because I I believe in what I said, but I, I can make it a little nicer and stuff like that. But no, Jesus was so confident that our hunger could only be satisfied by him. He asked them the same question. Do you want to go too? Wow. So confident, yet so loving with such a difficult question. And Simon Peter in verse 68 answers him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Man, he got it. He knew exactly what Jesus was saying, and he trusted and he believed. So what about us? How do we feast on the person of Jesus? Like, isn't that kind of weird? What is that? that what, what's going on? Well, as I said, I used to serve as a youth pastor, and I want to do a little illustration. I've done this a few years ago. Debbie laughed at me, and so please don't laugh this time, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> But here has been my experience with feasting on Jesus. Uh, I come to church, 
I hear a great sermon, uh, something that I didn't hear in the world. I heard it with my family, with my community, and I'm challenged by it. And so I take it in. I listen to it. It's good. And then during the week, I, I chew on it a little bit. And it's, it's really good. But then when I'm supposed to talk about it, I try to find creative ways, and I pour out, and I try to, you know, remember what was said the exact way. And then after just a few days, I'm like, oh, man, that was really good, but some other stuff has come in, and it's just really hard to focus on Jesus right now. But that's okay. I'm going back to church. So (laughs) I'm going to hear another sermon, and... I get filled up again. That was awesome. I needed to hear that. And then during the week, I, I, I trust and I have a little faith and it's good. But then after a few days, I'm just empty again. Well, I can't go to church this Sunday, but I have podcasts. So that's great. So I get a little filled up again and it's good. But the thing is, this is not what Jesus means, that he is food, that we are to feast on him. He's not a snack. He's not when we get bored and we need a new flavor. No, this is what it means. That God will speak to us. He'll calm our fears. He'll give us the wisdom that we need. But guess what? God doesn't stop. He just keeps giving and giving and giving. And what ends up happening, well, I'm out. But what ends up happening is we just keep overflowing and we don't have to worry about, did I say it right? Did I work it enough through? Did I think the thing? Did I have enough faith? No. All we have to worry about is whoever I'm next to, are they going to get what? Are they going to see that I'm eating something completely different? We're living in the same world, but I'm feasting over something here that the world's just not going to get me down today. It's just not. Because I've already, like, I've already heard Jesus say, I'm enough. I've already heard say that he's enough. I've already heard that he loves me. He is there for me. And I, I know cheesy illustration, but that's the best way that I can think is he doesn't stop. We're the ones who stop. Because we take it and we think we have to pour it out and we have to take it to the places. No, he knows exactly where we're going. So let him fill us, overflow and it spills out. So feeding off Jesus, it's not a refill, it's not a top off, it's a complete transfusion. And this is what it would look like in seeking and trusting God in all things. Before you go into a conversation and you're already assuming the outcome, instead of that, why don't you ask Jesus how he's gonna move and speak in this meeting? And you're just listening for him the entire time. Uh, In a hopeless situation, work, family, you're stuck in a situation, in a life situation. Um, Are we just accepting that that's reality? Well, that's just how it is. You know, I'm just unlucky. And this, this is, you know, the cards I'm dealt with and all that. But instead of that, why don't we actively ask God what he wants to do? in the situation. Instead of just waiting for a miracle to change your circumstance, what if you opened yourself to be changed by God? What if that's the miracle? Your heart gets changed in the process. Because our soul, when it's satisfied, or excuse me, when our soul is satisfied, 
Our eternal view of Jesus is bigger than our current view of our situation. And I love that. I heard a message last night just about expectation. And our expectation needs to be that God is bigger than anything we're going to face in this life. He just is. What are they among so many? Well, Jesus, show me, and I will believe. Your soul will be satisfied when you follow a source, not just resources. When you have no other food to depend on, but you trust the king who gives life eternal. He is a better king, but he's a better food. (laughs) There's lots of things that we feast on. Lots of things. Every every week I have people asking me like, hey, is it okay to be a Christian and get into crypto? Is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But are you feasting on crypto or are you feasting on Jesus? Hey, is it okay that in our relationship, you know, we're kind of going here and we're the, what are you feasting on though? Is Jesus the reason for that relationship? What's going on? Is he the reason? Is he enough? Is he the better food? Because all of those things are food, but he's better. He's 100% better. And so uh, I'd like to ask the worship team to come up. And uh, at the end of each month, as a spiritual family, we take communion together. And this is a time uh, to remember that he is a better king that he is a better provider, that he has prepared a table for us to come and yet again be served by him. Now in this message, I I, I know it would be easy for us to be like, oh, he's teaching about communion. He's not teaching about communion. Or he would have said it. Jesus is teaching about believing in him. And when we take communion, we're showing where our belief is. We're showing that he is a better king, a better provider, a better friend, a better father. And so uh, I'll ask the connection team to hand out those elements as we respond in worship. But if you could just join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I come before you now. And Lord, I love the people that are in front of me. And I would hate to think that we would leave this place starving. I hate that. Lord, if there's anything that I said that was misleading, I pray that you forgive and replace that with the truth that we cannot eat without you. We cannot live. We cannot survive. We can't think. There is, it's you. It's all you. And so Lord, I pray that we would never be a people that are just after your stuff, but we would be a people because we realize you're after our heart and we give it to you freely. So God, show us our problems. What are they among so many? It doesn't matter. You're with us. And we ask that you show us today and this week. We need you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.